friends, it's Haley Hines, aka Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and GTB listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash give them the bird. You've maybe heard of BetterHelp. It's customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You all know I'm a huge advocate for therapy, and I'm lucky to have a long-standing therapist who I meet with regularly, but that was not always the case. I remember before having decent insurance that I had to stop going to therapy because it was so costly out of pocket. Luckily, BetterHelp is way more affordable than what I was paying. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There are a broad range of expertise available, which may not be available locally depending upon where you are located. So if you're looking into affordable therapy options and are open to online, check out betterhelp.com slash give them the bird for 10% off your first month of therapy. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash give them the bird. Hello and welcome to Give Them the Bird. It's Haley, aka Bird, and I am so excited to have you here today. On today's episode of GTB, I chat with Kelsey Ellis. Kelsey is a body positive health and fitness expert and the owner of the personal wellness brand Healthy with Kelsey. She operates from her home-based business in Vancouver, British Columbia, with a mission to help people take the shame out of their wellness game through joyful movement, making peace with food, and stepping into their personal power so they can live wholehearted and fulfilling lives. In this episode, Kelsey tells us how she got started with a career in health and fitness and how her perspective on what it means to be healthy and fit has drastically shifted over time. She also shares how being introduced to dieting and weight loss as a child has impacted her. We then dive into all things body positive fitness. Kelsey tells us more about what that means for her and her work and how it's different than conventional ideas of fitness. Then Kelsey leaves us with some super helpful tips on what we can do to start cultivating more body acceptance and a body positive fitness practice. This episode is jam-packed with such goodness. I cannot wait for you all to hear it. Before we dive in, though, I just want to remind you that if you enjoy this episode and this podcast, feel free to leave a rating and a review over on iTunes and share your thoughts with me on Instagram at GiveThemTheBirdPodcast. All right, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Kelsey. All right, welcome to Give Them the Bird, Kelsey Ellis. Hello, my name is Kelsey Ellis. My pronouns are she, her. And firstly, uh, before we start this conversation today, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm joining uh, Haley in conversation today from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Coast Salish people of Squamish, Stolo, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I am the owner of Healthy with Kelsey, which is a personal wellness brand that aims to help people move with joy, build self-acceptance around their bodies, and then also take the shame out of their wellness game. Yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm both a registered holistic nutritionist, um, a certified personal trainer, and I guess really for the last few years, my mission has been to just deconstruct conventional wellness practices um, and relearn not only just for myself, but for my clients, how to heal the body, um, both physically, mentally, and emotionally through more intuitively guided practices. Mm, Yeah. I love all that. I love the deconstruct part. Like that's, I love that using that term because that really what is what we have to do, like decondition ourselves, deconstruct from all of the things that, you know, we've picked up around diet culture and all that along the way. So I love that you include that. And also thank you for including the land acknowledgement. Um, that's really beautiful to incorporate. Um, so I'm curious to know, how did you get into health and wellness? Um, was it something that you knew you always wanted to do? And also when you did get into it, have you always had the mindset around like body positive fitness and kind of this, like 
I, I like to use the term like non-diet approach. It kind of seems like you take, um, have you always had that approach? So yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah. So I got into this work. First off, I'll preface this and say that I've always been an athlete. My entire life growing up, um, I played every sport under the sun. Um, I ended up going away to uh, university in the United States on a full-ride softball scholarship in Boston, um, where I was studying marketing. And you know, my experience with fitness up until that point had always been through the eyes and lens of being an athlete, right? So quite rigid workout programs, uh, a lot of competition, um, especially when I moved into college and at the collegiate level where, you know, we're training twice a day, sometimes three times a day, early morning, you run if you don't like it, you know, doing suicide burpees, like, ugh, you know, 12 mile runs with your team. And if you come in last, like, you know, you're, it's frowned upon. And so what started for me as the sport that I absolutely loved, which was softball, eventually turned into something I, I very much resented um, because of the fitness culture around being a collegiate athlete. And so um, that's really and the very, very, very beginning signs of where my journey begins. Um, you know, as a child, I definitely experienced um, a household and living with family members who chronically dieted. Um, so that definitely had an impact on me, but I didn't really recognize it as much until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So coming out of my college career, um, I ended up dropping out after two years into my degree. Um, and that, that, left a very heavy burden on my shoulders. I very much felt like I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I feel like I had disappointed my family. Um, you know, at that point, I was the first one in my family to go to college. And the fact that it was on a scholarship was a huge deal. So, um, you know, I was carrying a lot of heavy burdens around with me around shame um, and feeling like I had let my family down at that point. So when I came home, I was like, I need to get a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no degree. I have no skills. <laughs> I'm suffering from depression and anxiety oh. coming out of college. Um, and I saw an ad on Craigslist of all places that oh. was like, you can make $20 an hour as a personal trainer. Wow. And I was like, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. I like people. I'm fairly fit. I can do this. And, you know, it's interesting because once I got my credentials and once I started working as a personal trainer and in a gym, I started designing my own fitness programs and working out with clients. You know, I really recognized like, wow, what an impact exercise has on your mental health. Wow. Um, my entire perspective changed, you know, my mental health improved. I was getting, you know, quote unquote, in shape. I was getting noticed. I was getting complimented on my physique and I felt like I had purpose again. Um, but after a few years of doing that, those tendencies tended to grow into more of an obsession um, and ultimately led me to experiencing uh, orthorexia, um, which then turned into binge eating and restriction and being stuck in a vicious cycle of kind of gaining and losing weight and my mental health began deteriorating again. And, you know, that was really in my, my biggest lows um, because on the outside to everybody else, I had this physique and I was doing all the things that, you know, the fitness culture tells us we need to be doing. We need to be working out. We need to be eating, you know, no carbs. We need to be whatever, you know, practices you can think of there in the fitness world. I was doing all of them plus more. Um, it eventually broke me down. I had no energy left. I was over exercising. I was under eating. My mental health was an absolute mess again. I was, you know, fighting with my boyfriend. I was isolating myself from social situations where there would be food and tracking every little nutrient. And it just got to the point where one day my eventual husband <laughs> looked at me and he was like, you can't do this anymore. Wow. You can't do this anymore because that situation arose out of a time where he accidentally took my pre-calculated Tupperware container to work thinking it was his lunch instead of mine, 
but it was my lunch and I had already entered in my fitness pal exactly how many grams of carbs, fats, proteins, calories it was going to be. And I actually had like a mental breakdown because I didn't know what I was going to be eating. Wow. That was my low. That was like my rock bottom for mm. me in my, in my journey. Wow. Yeah. And that's really when my work of deconstructing fitness uh, relearning how to mother myself, relearning how to nurture myself again, um, really, be- really began. Mm. So up until that point, I had been kind of working in conventional fitness. I was doing all the things, you know, they teach you in personal training school. <laughs> you want to be hypertrophy, you do this. If you want to lose weight, you do this. Um, and it's also because I didn't know any differently. You know, you you look to the pros that you, you see. So the Jillian Michaels of the world, right? And what was trending at that time was the biggest loser. And so I thought, you know, if I can deliver these results to clients to get them to lose a ton of weight, then I'm going to be recognized um, as being an expert in this field. And I sadly recognize now that I could not be so, so much further from the truth. Um, there's definitely an entire entire other side to wellness that is not um, really talked about a lot in fitness culture, which is oppression, suppression, um, you know, isolating particular uh, demographics who don't necessarily fit the mold of fitness, including, you know, gender, age, size, body shape. Um, So there's so much more uh, to uncover. And I know we're just really, I feel at the beginning stages um, on a global level of really allowing this work to come to the surface. But I'm so excited to be here for it and at the forefront of it. And after, you know, unlearning these behaviors for myself and being able to help guide people through how to unlearn it for themselves, it has been by far the most liberating thing that I've ever done in my entire life. It's like freedom. Once you get to that place. Yeah. Yeah. That is so beautiful. I love what you were, um, how you explained after athletics, like after college exercise or movement was something that helped your mental health, but then you got to see the flip side of it too. Um, and I think that that is so powerful for somebody who's working in the space to be able to see and have experienced, um, because it just gives you a different perspective. Um, I think, like you mentioned, there's oftentimes there's the folks that are like, yes, uh, exercise improves your mental well-being, and the more you do, the better you feel. And then we never hear about the other side of things where doing too much can really be harmful. And I totally agree that as I have, I think when like I describe it as when I woke up to really diet culture and just started learning more about like intuitive eating and um, yeah, like listening to my body and all of that it like uncovered all this other shit that is (laughs) like within, you know, the fitness culture. Um, and once you see it, I always say like, you can't unsee it. And it's, I think it gave my work like a whole new is, and it sounds like yours too, like a whole new like mission and, and purpose behind it. Um, which is both really empowering, but also sometimes it's like defeating because it's like, man, I just wanted to help people like move more and, you know, feel better. But now there's all this other stuff that like, I can't not, you know, I I can't not address now that I've seen it and I'm aware of it. Um, but yeah, I, I really love just hearing more about your kind of your journey with health and wellness and, um, what got you to where you're at. I'm curious, when did that shift start to happen for you? Um, I have been a personal trainer now for over 10 years. My original company was called Bodylicious Fitness. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it was Bodylicious Fitness. It was fun at the time. Now, even looking back with the perspective I have now, like I even having body in the name and having right. that related to fitness now seems cringy. Mm-hmm. So, but I honor everything and everything that I've done in the past and where I come from yes. because I wouldn't be where I am today without those things. So mm-hmm. I definitely, with Bodylicious Fitness, had a conventional fitness mindset. So, you know, I marketed myself as a weight loss coach. I was working in a gym environment where that was very much the narrative selling, uh, you know, uh, and 
looking back to like, as you learn to become a personal trainer, and this is not necessarily the case for every certification program, but has generally been my knowledge when I've talked to other trainers that this is the case. But you know, when you initially have that first consultation with somebody and you kind of get into, you know, where they're at and why they're feeling the way that they feel, you kind of hit on those pain points that helps them to make a decision about working with a personal trainer, right? So, you know, you, you have them step on the scale, you take their measurements, you show them on that printout that comes out that's like, here's your body fat percentage. And at that point, the person in the chair is thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't realize it was this bad. I really should be working with a trainer. That is conventional fitness. It focuses on finding trigger points of somebody where they are feeling insecurity and then using that as leverage to have somebody make change or commit to paying to have a change come into their life, right? Um, so, I mean, when we look, we look at that on an external level and we look at diet programs and all of the things that we see out there on the internet marketed to us that are like, you know, it, it hits pain points, right? When we see images about these new diets that come out and they show you're going to have more friends, you're going to, you know, be able to fit in those genes, it reinforces that we are not enough as we are. Because if people were happy with who they are and what they look like in this moment, they wouldn't need to look to the external to seek out support because they would already have that internal self-trust within. Mm -hmm. And when people have internal self-trust, it's very difficult to sell them on things. So that is where the diet industry comes into play. Now, if we can break, breed insecurity within people, then we can sell them the solutions to the issues that we created in the first place. Wow. And that is exactly how I look at diet culture. That is like mic drop. That's <laughs> the way that you word that is, and then talk about it. It is just so, so true. The having the internal self-trust. So I'm, I want to talk more about that with your mm-hmm. clients, like, or even with yourself, how, how do you go about cultivating that? Or what was the process like, you know, like the internal work that you did to try to build or cultivate that, that internal self-trust? What does that even look like for you or with the clients that you work with? And I'm sure it's different, you know, for everybody based on where they're at. Yeah. I think a big part of it is educating myself. That That's really for me where it started because it was a type of education that we didn't get in personal training school. (laughs) I don't think we get it really in any form of like formal education in general, but really understanding like decolonizing health and wellness, um, which can be very heavy work. Um, Understanding the root of many issues that we carry on a systemic level globally and how it all interconnects and intersects with every aspect of our lives. I think that was a big part of it. (laughs) Um, Another one too, and then something I would highly recommend to anybody who has never read it, um, Intuitive Eating. The Intuitive Eating book by Evelyn Tribal and Elise Resch. I use it as a resource in one of my emotional eating recovery programs. It really opened my eyes to understanding that, wait, I have given all of my energy into the external and relying on someone else to tell me when, what, how to eat. And never once for myself did I ever recognize that I have the ability to do those things for myself. That the only person that can actually tell me when I'm hungry is me. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, lunch at 12 (laughs) o'clock. You know, and like you had mentioned in, in the intro, you know, we're conditioned Um, from a very young age. And so that really quiets our inner voice and we become very self-reliant on everybody else telling us what's best for us. And so, you know, when you grow up and you're in elementary school and recess is at 10 a.m. and you're not really hungry then, but you have to eat because it's 10 a.m. and you're not allowed to eat in class, you're kind of not listening to your body, right? It's telling you, I'm not hungry. I don't need food right now. And I could wait, but you feel forced to have to eat because you won't get the opportunity later, right? So maybe, you know, you don't eat, but then 1030 rolls around and it's like, oh shit, I'm I'm starving starving now, but now I have to wait until 1230 before lunch, right? Mm -hmm. So we are told from a young age, like to disconnect from our bodies and that we have to follow, you know, a rigid timeline, even throughout our day. If we deconstruct breakfast in general, right? We think breakfast food, look like this it has to be bacon eggs and toast and cereal and you have to eat it before 10 a.m or it's not considered breakfast like 
saying that out loud sounds so irrational. Like your body literally does not know the difference of whether you eat cereal for breakfast or you eat salmon for breakfast. (laughs) That is so true. I've never even thought about that before. Like such a simple example like that, but how even our, even, I feel like even, cause I consider myself like on the journey to becoming an intuitive eater still, cause it takes such a long time and all of that. But yeah, even just thinking about that, like I choose what I eat for breakfast, not necessarily because it's what I want to eat, but because it fits into like a specific category. Like even that, yeah. that is, I've never thought about it like that before. Yeah. For me, like when you ask, you know, well, how do you start doing this work? and relearning. It's situations like that for me. I start to, I became like an investigator of everything. I try, and it sounds maybe out there, but I don't trust anything anymore. Like I really have to see it and understand it for myself now because I did, I became like a little investigator. I questioned everything. I questioned everything that I knew about fitness up to that point and determined whether it resonated for me or not, or whether there was any validity in it. And as I began to do that, I uncovered that a lot of what we think is not for ourselves or not come up with. And we've been conditioned um, and especially conditioned by people who don't necessarily you know, have any similarities to us whatsoever. For example, for myself as a uh, black male, um, a, cis white ma- a cis white male, I'm not necessarily going to identify with the cultures of, you know, something like the BMI chart, which was created by that and was not created with my body or my gender in mind. So when I started to question everything, then I had the opportunity to open up the door and begin to look for the answers. Um, And that's where, you know, I stopped listening to the outside and I started, well, what works for me? How do I want this to look? How do I want to feel later? How do I want to feel after I eat this? What kind of movement actually fits within my schedule? And and also affirming for myself that it doesn't matter if it doesn't look like the same way it would for anybody else and allowing myself to have flexibility in that. Yeah. That flexibility piece is so, so important. And I, I like that you mentioned just the systems that we, I mean, still have in place today are one so binary. Like I think about, I work with trans folks and even just like exercise testing for them, you know, like the, the standards, um, And yeah, everything was made from a white male perspective (laughs) Yeah. Um, and just how harmful that is. And, um, you know, to, to base our ideals of fitness or health or compare ourselves to that. And then to think that we're not healthy when really it's like, no, there's just no comparison. Like you can't compare. Um, but that's not what, that's not what society tells us. Right. Um, but it's people like you that are, you know, kind of forging the way and, and sharing those messages. So I'm, I'm so appreciative because again, it's people like you who have taught people like me um, or, you know, other people who have been doing this work for years and came to it um, sooner than I did. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that. You had mentioned a little bit about um, when you were younger and like growing up maybe around dieting. I'm curious if you can talk more about that. Cause I know on your website, you have a really cool, like my story um, link. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And I read it and it, it really resonated um, not necessarily with my own experience, but with the experiences of others that I've heard who have grown up like steeped in diet culture or with folks who diet parents who diet or friends or whoever. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about um, what it was like growing up um, surrounded by some of that information. Yeah, absolutely. So from my goodness, like as early as I can remember, like I'm going to say probably around like the age of like six to eight years old. Um, my mom was a huge chronic dieter. Like we had everything in our house, our house from like those absonic machines that you order <laughs> through like back in the nineties that were like, you pay and like, it's like shipping and handling yeah. and you order it like from TV and you put it on your belly and it shakes and it's supposed to help you stimulate, you know, your muscle contractions for getting flat abs. Oh my gosh. We had one of those. And I just remember sitting there as a child, like putting it on my belly and like laughing because it tickled. And having no idea like (laughs) that I just simply using that and and coming into contact with that device, you know, I guess you could say gave me a sense that maybe 
that there was even the need and necessary to put this on my body that it could make a change that would bring me a better something of better value and so you know I, I laughed looking back at that memory and just thinking you had that thing and it had like the little gel and everything that you put on it and you know as a kid it just seemed like a toy to me but as I uncover more and more of that, um, I recognize that we had a lot of those types of things. Um, you know, I'm um, trying out, I think it was, oh, what was it called for that? That circuit class that was just for ladies at the time. Oh, is it like curves? Curves, yeah. yes. <laughs> Mom had a curves membership, yes. Um, and I remember Jenny Craig and every diet under the sun. And I remember too distinctly, and I write this in my story on my website, um, you know, coming home and my mom being on Jenny Craig and Jenny Craig is a diet um, that was really popular in the nineties that was meals that they pre-prepared for you. And they were like microwavable kind of meals and everything was portioned out for you. And so my mom, like, dinner, making everything else for the rest of the family, and then sitting down at the table to have her very small microwavable Jenny Craig meal. And, you know, as a kid, in that moment, even at the age of six to eight, I felt like there, that couldn't have been enough, you know, and in it, it made me question why she would avoid all these great things that we're having for dinner that everyone is enjoying, in substitute of something that seems so bland and small and not in any way shape or form uh <laughs> something that would look good to a kid yeah <laughs> <laughs> that being said as I got older I would go into our deep freeze and I'd ask my mom hey can I have these you know microwavable french toast that you're having from Jenny Craig and I like them and it's so funny because looking back on that too I realized you know it's you, when you are outside of doing that diet and you don't have those meals, then what? You know what I mean? And that was generally the case. My mom would, you know, follow something like this for a while. Um, she would have results from doing it, from obviously restricting and having a low calorie diet. And then when that was no longer uh, a thing anymore, that way it would come back and then there would be something new to replace it. So I very much watched as a child, you know, that yo-yoing up and down, back and forth of, um, my mom's experience with chronic dieting and, you know, for myself, when that became an option for me, <laughs> when I started to recognize, you know, I don't like this about myself and I want to be like this, that was the first place that I looked to, to figure out where I can begin in dieting as somebody who was already an expert in it, <laughs> which was my own mother. Um, you know, and it's interesting still to this day, you know, um, I, I catch her still fishing for compliments sometimes when she has made a change or still she's still engaged in that that diet talk um, and I am luckily at the point in my life where I've kind of deconditioned my my mind and I don't feed into it because I recognize that you know complimenting somebody on their weight loss or feeding into that type of narrative can really have damaging effects as well of feeling undervalued when they are not dieting or when they've gained weight back so I don't feed into it I just you know and as a tip for anybody out here there who is listening who has people in their life who do come to them and say oh like look I'm doing this and now I feel like this look how big my pants are and those types of comments you can just acknowledge it with politeness and move forward but you don't have to necessarily feed into that conversation mm, that's such a good point and it's interesting because my sister is a she's a personal trainer and we talk about like growing up my mom we don't remember like dieting being a part of our our life um and we also yeah we just don't ever remember my mom talking about it but nowadays she talks about it all the time and, um, both yeah, wanting to, to, she's noticing body changes as she aged, like that's, that's normal. <laughs> that's supposed to happen. <laughs> um, but the, the look, not necessarily fishing for compliments, but like feeling such a sense of pride. If she doesn't eat, you know, the chocolate syrup, or if she does lose weight, like the, I think the pride that comes with it when it's like, I think that's like, it's so sad too, that we, we feel so proud of ourselves for doing that. And a lot of times for, in order to get those results or that progress, it's like, we had to do something harmful to our health or our mind in order to get there, but yet we still feel pride for doing it. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see the flip side of it where, um, my mom didn't talk about it growing up, 
but now she does all the time. And, and I really like your acknowledgement of acknowledge it if they mention those things and then don't feed into it because I can find myself wanting to be like, mom diets don't work, you know, 95% yeah. all of this. And, um, I have to remember that it's just like working with, you know, a client who hasn't yet seen the diet culture or anti-diet light. So I really like that, um, that inclusion to, you know, not feed into it, acknowledge it and not feed into it. That's, that's such a huge, such a huge um, reminder. I love that. Yeah. So now you are a, a wellness coach. What, what, what like sort of title do you use? Like body positive <laughs> wellness coach. I always, I'm always so curious. There's like anti-diet wellness coach, non-diet wellness coach, just wellness coach. Like I'm curious if, yeah, what, what title you use. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because all the time I'm like, I don't know how to describe like the work that I do because it's in so many different avenues and there's so many layers to it. But in general, I usually refer to myself as a body positive health and fitness expert. Mm, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that kind of encompasses things a bit, but as a holistic nutritionist in there as well, um, I think, you know, sometimes people can get disconnected from like, are you a nutritionist or are you a personal trainer? And for some reason they feel like they can't be two of the same thing. <laughs> so generally, um, when I work with clients, um, you know, that's the title that I'll generally use because it kind of encompasses both aspects of the nutritional aspect of it. And then also the fitness part. Yeah. I also have to acknowledge you're, you're an, an award-winning nutritionist, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's you're correct. You're ideal. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. For the last couple of years, I was voted one of the best nutritionists in Vancouver for the last three years in a row. Actually. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I am not familiar with Canada at all, but like, it still seems really cool to me. So, um, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk more about body positive fitness. I feel like, um, Mm -hmm. you've given a really good kind of overview of what like deconstructing fitness looks like, or like the fitness industry or fitness ideals, but tell me a little bit more about, um, what body positive fitness is, what it looks like, all of the things about body positive fitness. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's understanding of what body positive fitness can be different. And I want to acknowledge that because again, when we have only one understanding of what it can be, then people will quickly categorize themselves into whether they are body positive or not based on these skills, (laughs) right? So when I speak today from on this topic, it's from my own perspective and what body positive fitness may be to somebody else could be entirely different or your own personal beliefs around what body positive fitness is could be entirely different. So for me, um, you know, my beliefs are that a body positive but body positive fitness is a movement in, within the fitness community that focuses on exercising, um, not no longer for like aesthetic purposes or with the intentions to change our body weight, shape, or size, but that it is focused on all of the other benefits of exercise that are not weight related. So things like, you know, feeling strong, balancing our mood, um, you know, having more energy. It's all about moving with joy, listening to your body, practicing self-care, and again, rebuilding that flexibility around what fitness can look like and moving away from the rigidity of conventional fitness. Mm, Yeah. So how does that, like when you, when you meet with a client or even if like someone reaches out to you because they, they want to meet with you, um, I'm curious what, like what sort of feedback you get about it. Like with most people, do you feel like they're aware when you mention body positive fitness, or do you feel like you still have a lot of like a lot of that deconstructing to do with them when they reach out to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think a lot of the people who approach me um, and book in for like an initial consultation or anything like that already know that I have a background in body positive fitness. So generally they've, they come to me and they're already, maybe they're at a bit of a crossroads. So they're like, I know I want to be moving towards body positive fitness. I know I want to focus more on intuitive eating. I want to learn how to listen to my body. I want to move with joy, et cetera. But I don't know how, because I'm still within the grips of conventional fitness culture. That's often where I find that people reach out to me. They're like teetering on either side. They know what they have been doing isn't working for them anymore, but they don't really know how to step into being more body positive within their fitness routine. And that's generally where our work begins. Yeah. So then walk me through um, what some of that work looks like. Like, obviously, like you've mentioned, it's totally different for everybody, but I'm curious, like if there are 
certain things or um, I don't want to say steps, obviously, but just certain things that folks can do if they're wanting to try to cultivate more of a body positive fitness practice? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think the first step for most people in the way that I, and at least the way that I work with people is that we begin understanding why we have the beliefs we have. <laughs> I know it sounds basic, but it's also very big, powerful, <laughs> big yeah. and very, and exactly very powerful. Um, and there's an educational aspect to it as well, where people, you know, a lot of people don't know how, I guess you could say like ingrained the diet culture is within us, mm. right? Um, a lot of the behaviors that we do, we are doing on an unconscious, on unconscious mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. in conscious, no, on unconscious <laughs> level. Um, and when we are operating on that kind of autopilot from the unconscious, it's very difficult to make change because we're not even in the space and awareness to identify that we are doing something unconsciously, right? Right. So my goal initially when I'm working with clients is to help bring their behaviors into their consciousness. Mm-hmm. So having them recognize like, hey, what did you eat yesterday? Like think about how many times you ask somebody, what did you have to eat yesterday? And they're like, I don't know. I can't right. even remember. Mm-hmm. Just because we are generally operating unconsciously. We're not really even thinking about what we're putting in our mouth. However, if you say, you know, um, what did you have on your birthday? A lot of people can remember that because like, oh, I had birthday cake and it was red velvet and it was so good because they were very present in the moment of having that. They remember who was there. They remember the color of the cake. They remember the plates that they used. You know what I mean? Because they're very present and they're, they're engaged with the moment of eating. But nine times out of 10, through most part of our day, we just kind of eat, but we're not really thinking about it. We're not really present in the moment of eating. So Um, A big part of that initial work is becoming conscious about what we choose and how we feel when we make those choices. Um, So that's really the first step that I work with people, especially on the eating side of things and and my emotional eating recovery program. From a fitness perspective, it's kind of like looking at, you know, why do you do the exercise you do? Like sometimes just simply asking somebody like, why do you run on the treadmill for 20 minutes? It's interesting what comes up. Often I hear, I don't know. I, because that burns the most calories and I think to run, it helps you get leaner legs. Like they'll say things like that. Right. And so it's like, let's deconstruct that. (laughs) My favorite with running is when, um, I'm like, okay, so what are you currently doing for exercise? And they're like, I running, I hate it, but I do it. And I'm like, why the shit are you doing it? You just told like the first thing that came out of your mouth was I hate it, but yeah. So I, I totally agree with that. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And we generally identify like we are doing exercise that we don't even like doing because we've been told that it's the type of exercise that we need to have a particular result. And that result is generally related to our age, not our age, sorry, our weight, our size, our shape, et cetera. Right. So we slave away every day doing this type of exercise and then we become resentful of it. And now it becomes like a job and it's the thing we have to do after work every day and we have to do even though we don't want to do. And then again, that just builds more and more resentment that we generally just stop doing it all together. And then we do the polar opposite as almost like a rebellious response and a self-sabotaging response. So uncovering and identifying the types of movement that you enjoy is so important. If you enjoy tennis, do more tennis. If you enjoy dancing, do more dancing. And don't let anybody out there tell you that that doesn't count as exercise, right? We have this kind of perception that exercise can only be done in like a gym environment or in a fitness class environment, or it has to be some form of like aerobic activity in order to count, quote unquote, or that we have to exercise for a certain amount of time, right? I don't know how many times in my life I have caught myself being like, oh, I only have 30 minutes. I'm not going to bother doing it because it doesn't really count for only 30 minutes or only 15 minutes doesn't really count. I have to do it for an hour for it to count. I have to get my heart rate to a certain level for it to count, right? So all of these types of beliefs, that is within the work of deconstructing to create more of a body positive fitness practice. Um, Another tip that I love too is to detox your social media accounts from messaging that reinforces, uh, you know, poor self-image and body comparison, right? If you are scrolling and you are seeing uh, images that make you feel bad about yourself or you're following certain influencers or fitness accounts that encourage you to have to lose weight or you're looking at a lot of like before and after images and things like that. Um, 
that can wreak absolute havoc on your mental health. Um, and even if you are trying to cultivate more body positivity in your life, it's almost like those types of Im images strip that all away from you. You fall right back into the old habits um, and old belief systems. So I would definitely detox your social media accounts, your Pinterest accounts, things like that. If you're following a bunch of, you know, low fat recipes and, and you're reading all the magazines and following all these, you know, exercise programs, these books, um, cookbooks, whatever it might be, detox yourself and distance yourself from those things so that you can let go of that external noise and start to cultivate more internal guidance. Mm, those are so good points. Such good points. So good. Such good points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. I think the, the comment about social media, it comes up literally on every single episode that I have of the podcast because it's, it's just so huge. And I think when you've gone through the process of like cleaning up, I, the last guest I had on was one of my friends and she used the term grooming your social media. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I love that. So I love the different phrases that we use. Um, but yeah, those are all really good things. And I like the way you worded of it's so unconscious and we have to become aware of it before we can even do anything about it. Like if we don't even know that we're doing some of these things and like why we're doing some of these things, it's just the way that it's always been. It's so hard to, you know, change it or improve it if we don't even know that it's happening. And I know that's something for me that I still have moments where I'm like, I think I'm doing that thing again. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just on autopilot and like autopilot for me often looks like I have a tendency towards, you know, the obsession and, and all of that. And I think a lot of folks do because we've just been conditioned the way we have been. So yeah, being aware of it is, is such a powerful thing. Um, and so you mentioned your emotional, emotional eating program or what's, what's the name the title of it? the emotional eating recovery program. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? That sounds so interesting. Yeah. So the emotional eating recovery program is a 12 week one-to-one -one coaching program. I've run it as group coaching as well. I just don't currently have anything on the go at the moment. Um, and we really focus on the 10 principles of intuitive eating. We focus on deconstructing our belief systems around why we eat, what we eat, when we eat, how we eat, all of those types of things. Um, we deconstruct our belief systems around, um, fitness and exercise and learning how to cultivate more respect for our body. We learn how to honor our hunger um, by being able to recognize real true hunger and fullness cues in the body and using those as guidance to when we should eat and what we should eat, right? As opposed to like, okay, it's one o'clock, I should eat because it's lunch, <laughs> right? Um, and for a lot of people, especially in North America and in first world nations, we don't really know what true hunger feels like. We have been surrounded by food all the time. Um, you know, if it feels like it's endless, we can just go to the grocery store and it is like a never ending supply. Um, and so we've become very disconnected too from agriculture and where our food comes from and all of those things. So it's really important um, in the Emotional Eating Recovery Program to initially address those types of things and help people to understand why we eat the way we eat or why we've been conditioned to eat the way that we eat and who it is benefiting. And I'll tell you right now as a tip, it is not benefiting us. Mm, yeah. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, you know, when we look at the food industry and we look at agriculture and we look at a lot of, you know, the big names in food, um, for example, let's say like Kroger, General Mills, Kraft, et cetera, the, these companies, <laughs> if you looked at like a web chart, they're like at the root of every, at all of them. And then they expand into smaller subsets of the same company with different names, right? And when we look at like food labeling and we look at, um, you know, how the cover and marketing of boxes and how they're designed, right? We, we as human beings are conditioned to believe, okay, we see more fruits and vegetables on the label. That is probably a healthier food, especially when we read the words after it, you know, natural fruits and vegetables or a natural source of vitamin D, or we read those types of foods. So we fall into these beliefs that like, this is a healthy food product. When in reality, if we turn the box over and we look at the ingredients, we recognize that, oh wait, blueberries are like the eighth ingredient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of that, that food is actually not fresh fruits and vegetables or any form of fruits and vegetables. In fact, um, it's really kind of misleading in terms of the, the labeling. Um, 
And so when we kind of deconstruct that and we ask, you know, well, who is this benefiting? I could easily go on a tangent here. I'm not going to go into it <laughs> in full detail on the podcast, but we look, you know, like who is benefiting on a global scale from people being sick, people mm-hmm. feeling insecure, right? Um, and it's not us. It's not mm-hmm. us, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, um, the people who, you know, create the drugs that help us, you know, feel better in terms of depression, anxiety, mental health would not exist if we felt more secure. We were provided the basic needs of human existence um, in a way that was accessible for everybody. Mm. And so if we were to do that, if we were to be able to cultivate more self-joy, more self-respect, more self-trust, more self-love, it would reduce our need to buy products and feed more into, you know, capitalistic kind of practices, I yes. guess you could say. Right. And so they want to not keep it. People don't, the people who benefit don't want us to know that they want to keep us sick. They want to keep us tired. They want to keep us feeling exhausted. They want us to keep comparing our bodies. They want us to think that we don't have enough friends, that we don't have enough money, that we are always in a system of lack. Because when you are in lack, you will always look to the external to fill the void. And if you can learn how to fill that void for yourself, you won't need those things. Mm, So well said. That is so good. And it makes me think about you know, the $72 billion diet industry. And yeah, if we filled those, those voids, or if we cultivated that self-trust and the self-love and had, you know, our own body awareness and our, we were able to, I think you use the expression to like learn how to mother ourselves and that sort of thing. Um, that industry wouldn't be worth $72 billion. Um, no, but it's also so hard because it's at $72 billion that allows us to see that information all over, you know, like the diet culture information. So that is, that's really powerful though. And I don't know that I've heard of any other program that incorporates that aspect of it. And I think that's super important. Um, and I know that like in intuitive eating, you know, they talk a little bit about like food labeling and marketing, but I don't think they really get down to the source of it. So I feel like that is, um, super powerful to incorporate in a program. So it's, it's really cool that you do that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you can talk more about all the other services and things that you offer. Cause I know you have like a booming YouTube channel and Patreon <laughs> and all that. So yeah, tell us more about, um, how folks can work with you or learn from you, all the things. Yeah, absolutely. So I offer one-to-one coaching services for both uh, personal fitness coaching. So I do that via Zoom. It's virtually, I work with all over the world um, and we do fitness via Zoom and it is a personalized um, exercise programming uh, service. Then I also do one-to-one coaching um, as a nutritionist. So helping to break people uh, or not break people, break down (laughs) people's uh, diets, (laughs) especially if they're experiencing, you know, as a um, you know, some health related symptoms, things like digestive issues or hormonal imbalances, et cetera. Then we can kind of dissect your diet, take a look at implementing some dietary changes, some supplement, uh, recommendations if they're necessary, some lifestyle changes that are ultimately going to have an impact on reducing the symptoms you're experiencing. So that is my work as a nutritionist. And then of course I offer the emotional eating recovery program as well, which is, uh, what we just talked about. Um, as far as everything else, I feel like, I do all of the things. So, so um, I, also, <laughs> I also have a body positive YouTube channel. Um, and from there, I think right now there's like 47 workout videos on there. Um, and we completely refrain from using any language around um, diet culture. Um, within that, um, there's no clickbait titles. I know um, when you scan through YouTube, there's absolutely heart-wrenching and crushing to see that every single video is like, you know, do these six moves and lose 30 pounds in two weeks, right? So um, there's no clickbait titles and things like that. Um, We reinforce movement that feels good for you in your body. You know, I label, for example, I'm using 10 pounds for this workout to give people an idea of what I'm using, but to, to always remind them that to use a weight that feels good for you, you can pause the video at any time. You can take rest as needed. Um, you know, you can warm up in this way, spend a little bit longer if you need it. You don't have to do it exactly 
in the way that I do it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So that's my YouTube channel. And then lastly, I also run Patreon. Um, and I've got people on there who support me, who enjoy my YouTube content. And then I also offer um, at different tiers of my Patreon um, that you get to work out with me live in real time. So I offer live stream classes. This month I've offered 18 classes. So generally three to four classes a week where we get to meet live. You're in the class with other uh, folks who are also interested in body positive fitness they're fun I dance in between you know <laughs> active rest moments and we have fun conversations the other day I was talking about Beyonce um and it's fun we listen to good music we have a good time with it um I always offer modifications so that it's as inclusive as possible um and yeah um I love it it's a great way to uh support me in if you enjoy body positive work and you want to see this body positive work uh thrive especially um as a, a woman of color um and supporting a small business then I always you know direct people to support me through my patreon so yeah yeah I feel like working out with you live would be so much freaking fun like you were <laughs> just, time. yeah, you're, I just, I love, like I mentioned before we started recording, I love your energy. I freaking love your personality. Like before I have somebody on the podcast, I have to know that they have like a sense of humor about them. Otherwise it just like, I don't mesh with them very well. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, yes. When I saw like your humor coming through on your Instagram and, um, yeah, I can only imagine how fun your live workouts are because you obviously know what you're doing and you're fun. So that's Aww. just like, that's a good combo. Um, thank you. And then real quick, I, can you tell us where we can find you on social media? If you like, I know you have your Instagram account, but if there's like Facebook or Twitter or anything else where people can follow along with you. Yeah. My main two accounts for people to get in contact with me is my Instagram for one, which is at healthy underscore with underscore Kelsey. And then they can also find me through TikTok as well, which I have just started. There's not as much content on there quite yet, but I'm looking to build that up. And it's the same handle, healthy underscore with underscore Kelsey. And that's the best way to get contact with me. Yay. And um, your website too, is a web, is your website a good place to go if they want to learn more? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of great information on there and it also connects to my YouTube channel. Um, and that is www.kelseyellis.ca. Yay. Thank you so much, Kelsey. This has been so amazing to connect with you. Um, again, just to hear you talk about these things, I feel like I'm benefiting from it, like personally and professionally. And I just, there's no doubt in my mind that folks who listen are going to get so much from this. Um, Yes, like the the steps to or you know to build a more body positive fitness routine, but also just the information that you share. I think the more folks can hear people like you talking about um, talking about this stuff, like it's very powerful. And so I just really want to say thank you for coming on and for um, spending an hour with me. It's been so great. Oh, thank you so much, Haley. I had so much fun. This conversation is one that I want to continue having um, and I think is so necessary for people to hear. So thank you so much for having me today. It's been such an honor and a pleasure to be on this podcast. And yeah, I'm excited to stay in touch. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of GTB. If you enjoyed this episode or you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to head on over to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. I will see you back here in two weeks for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.